David Richmond was overweight, a smoker, married to an abusive alcoholic, and stressed out beyond belief. At his lowest point, he heard the words from a friend that he needed to hear. And these allowed him to start a journey of discovery, transformation, and self-belief. Today, he helps empower people to start the hard conversations around the emotional aspects of trauma, because there always is, and to help them transform into their best selves. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. David Richman is an author, public speaker, and endurance athlete whose mission is to form more meaningful human connections through storytelling. You do not want to miss David's story today. Welcome, David. Thank you. How are you today, Carol? Well, I'm doing well, and I'm so glad that after a period of time, we now have been able to connect, and I look forward to hearing your story and also what you have to share with the audience that will definitely benefit them. Yeah, so, for sure. Let's start by telling us your story and from the low point. Mm-hmm. Well, who hasn't had a few of those, right? <laughs> but I think the reason that um, we're here is that, that I think for me the low point was um, – you know, just uh, had kind of lost any, um, excuse me, I lost any kind of like sense of where I was and who I was and what I was supposed to get out of this life or anything. I had kind of on one side of the coin, Carol, been pretty successful in business. Um, uh, won't bore you with the stories of why I didn't go to college or couldn't go to college and ended up still um you know, running a very large business for a Wall Street firm was pretty successful in business. But in my personal life, uh, it was a wreck. And, you know, I was overweight. I was stressed out. I was a pretty heavy smoker. Um, I found one bad relationship after another. The one that I found myself in kind of at my low point was uh, being married to an abusive alcoholic. I had four-year-old twins. And the reality started to hit me that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not in a good place. Like this is, this is not good. I'm, I'm very unhealthy. I'm very unhappy. I'm, I, I have no direction. I have no compass. I have no, uh, I mean, I'm very optimistic, but, but I, I, I was starting to lose that optimism yeah. and, um, really, uh, you know, really found myself kind of, uh, in a dark, lonely place, kind of scrambling for a way out without even, 
knowing where to start, who to talk to, any of that. So that that's kind of the start of it. A number of things happened, Carol, at one one like one short like window of time. Like a number of things happened that kind of allowed me to at least get out of the dark place and f- try to look for some answers. Uh-huh. And um, one of those was a friend of mine who you mentioned in the intro, you know, heard, told me words I needed to hear at the right time. And, and I'll tell you what those words were, but at the, so at the same time that I was hearing words that allowed me to kind of reframe my, my narrative, um, I had found out that my sister was diagnosed with terminal cancer mm. and, you know, there was a lot of nonsense going on at work and it was just like, all this stuff happened at one time. And so when I found myself talking to a friend of mine, I was increasingly uh, vibrant about the narrative of, you know, that what's the world doing to me? And I've got this, I'm married to this, I'm married to this horrible person. And why are so many bad things happening to me? And, you know, why, you know, why me, why me, why me? And, you know, I'm the victim and blah, 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 blah. And, and I probably was in some senses, but, but whatever, I mean, you know, we, we've got to take charge of our life. And he looked at me and he, and he said to me, he goes, Dave, he goes, I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing it. He goes, oh, really? he goes, I'm really tired of hearing it. Yeah. He goes, guess what? You're the problem. <laughs> and I went, what? And I was like, what are you kidding me? And I started going over the list of things, you know, the work and the boss and the, and the wife and the, and the problems and the, this and the, that. And he goes, look, dude, I'm tired of hearing it. He says, you're the problem. And I said, explain. And he goes, uh, everything in life for you is like a wild animal. It's a problem to be solved. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you want to, you want to try to fix it. You go pick up the wild animal, you take it home, you feed it, you clean it, you give it a safe space, and then you go to pet it and it bites you. And you wonder, (laughs) (laughs) you wonder you know, why, why did you get bit? He goes, the problem is not that wild animals bite. It's that you are trying to make wild animals not bite. He goes, you're the problem. Why don't you not find problems? Why don't you deal with your own problems? Why don't you f- realize what it is about you that's attracted to wild animals, to problems to solve? Why, why, wh- why aren't, why aren't you uh, questioning the guy in the mirror? And I went, wow. I mean, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I didn't think for one second for years did I think for one second that I was the problem. Do you know, I always thought everything else was the problem. And so I remember this was right at a time, Carol, when I was able to get me and my kids, I had four year old twins at the time, almost five. Um, and I was able to get us out of that really bad situation. It was getting very, very violent and very bad. And I got us out of the, out of the house and to a safe space. And, and, you know, all of a sudden now those words are in my head and I'm thinking about my sister and, you know, she's got young kids and a right. great family and, and, and just the whole meaning of life and everything. And, and I took my friend's advice and I, I, I closed the door if the kids went to bed one day and I looked in the mirror and I was just like, okay, who are you? Like, what the heck, man? Like, what is your problem? What is your deal? And it was hard because I never really took a look at myself, you know, not, not like that. And so that was pretty much the start of it. Do you think that this is a common scenario with a lot of people who have a lot of problems or not? 
I do. I think it's more common. I think some people are evolved enough to know, or maybe they were mentored or they had, you know, great parents or whatever. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have good parents. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have, um, anybody looking out for me or teaching me how to think and how to take responsibility in those ways. Right. Like I was very self-sufficient, but I wasn't able to really understand my place in the world. I think there are people that are evolved enough or have been taught how to make themselves, you know, the, the master of their own destiny or whatever, you know, be able to navigate difficult situations leaning on themselves. But I don't know that that's a natural tendency, especially as we get older, we just seem to think like, oh, well, you know, these are the bad things that happened to me. And, <laughs> and you know, you know, pity poor me. You know, I, I, I interviewed hundreds of people for a book that I did on cancer. And some of the people kind of like got through their cancer in spite of the diagnosis. And some <laughs> people define their lives because of the diagnosis. You know, I just think, I think long answer to your question, but I think it works both ways. I, I, but I don't think most people that I've run into, it's natural for them when they find themselves at a low point to kind of look at the person in the mirror and go, that's the one that's responsible. Incredible advice. So I think, uh, you know, what I did, and I've had a, a ton of time to reflect on this, you know, a couple of decades now, but um, what, what, I, what I was fortunate enough to do was to be forced by those words into a situation where I actually did look at the mirror. And Carol, as odd as this sounds, <laughs> I literally like stood there for like an hour. Really? Talking wow. to myself out loud, going, all right. And looking at myself, like looking at myself, going, okay, well, what's good about you? What's not good about you? What's your problem? You know, what's, well, I mean, if, there's got to be some truth in that, right? If somebody get, really cares about you, tells you you're the problem, maybe I ought to listen to it. So where am I the problem? And I, I had to be honest. I had, I had to be honest. I had a lot of things that I was proud of about myself, and I had many things that I was not proud of. And I decided that if, if I was going to try to live my best life, that I had to be honest about those things and, you know, try to fix the things that were not great and try to lean into the things that were great. And that's, that was the starting point. My guess is that you probably argued with yourself. <laughs> probably for, for many, many years before that. And no, but even, at, even looking in the mirror, like, you know, that can't be true. Well, I guess it, it is. No. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's weird, Carol, because I, I use this statement a lot um, in, in a lot of different contexts, but it really means something to me. That's why I use it a lot is you just don't know what you don't know until you know it. Yes. And then, and then once you know it, you kind of got to own up to it. You got you to gotta accept the fact that, okay, now you know it. I have a similar statement. I said, you know it in your knower. Right. I like yeah. that. Yeah, you gotta yeah. know it so, till you know it. <laughs> so, so I grew, I grew up just a, just a, a real like easy example that maybe some people could identify with is I grew up in a pretty unhappy uh, household as a child. Had a mom who was exceptionally distant, very bipolar, kind of violent, kind of detached, and you know, like I was always searching for a safe space to make them happy, mm. right? Because that would make things better. And then all of a sudden. You know, I find myself in this in this relationship and and who knew it until she told me. But at one at one point, 
um, you know, my ex-wife, she started screaming at me going, I'm not your mother. I'm not your mother. And I went, oh, no, you exactly are my mother. What the heck? Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it until that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Until that very moment, I didn't realize that that's exactly what she was. I had actually married somebody who was like my mother. And it's like, right. how come I didn't know that? But now that I knew it, I could learn from it. I could I could either Good point. not not accept it. Right. Or I could say, yeah, why did you? Why, first of all, why did you do that? Second of all, how did you not know that you did that? Right. Like you got to become more more in touch with yourself, because how could you not know that you that you were doing the same thing that you did as a kid? You were trying to do it as a, an adult and and it's not happy. You can't can't live your life trying to make other people happy. It just doesn't work. So that was step one. Mm-hmm. And what happened? So I think um, step two, and this is not, again, something that I knew day one of step two, but I, I really, upon looking back, Carol, understood that step two was just forgiving yourself, forgiving yourself. That's big. You know, uh-huh. it's like just just freeing your mind and letting it go because, you know, like as a smoker, I, I was a heavy smoker for 20 years. Okay. And it got me through a lot of really difficult times. Now, granted, sh- should I have leaned on that to get me through difficult times? Of course not. But I mean, I remember a time when I was uh, homeless and uh, living out of my car and I didn't have, I had less than a dollar in my pocket. I had a pack, of, I had a carton of cigarettes and that's, that's what I ate for three days. I smoked cigarettes for three days waiting for something to appear that could get me out of my situation. And it became a crutch for me. And so, you know, uh, if I would have known, I, I wouldn't have done that. But I didn't know or life didn't give me the opportunity to know or whatever. But once I knew, I knew. And and and, and so, you know, I'd heard probably a hundred times and, 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 you know, quit smoking is bad for your health. Of course, you hear it a, th- a million times. But until you really know, you just don't know. And so once you do know, you just got to forgive yourself. Like you didn't know any better or you weren't properly equipped to deal with whatever situation you're dealing with now. You weren't properly equipped then, but you are now. So just forgive yourself. Just move on. Just don't carry it as a weight because that's not going to help you at all. Like if you want to change, change. You know, if you want to be different, be different. Don't don't just carry everything as a weight and 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 just free your mind. Just just free yourself. Just let it go. Which is hard to do. No kidding. For anybody. For anybody. I, I know too many people, Carol, I'm sure we all do, who says, oh, I'm this way because that's the way it is. Or, oh, I'm mm-hmm, this way because mm-hmm. it's too late in life to be different. Or these were the cards I was dealt. So, blah, blah. I just don't agree with that. I, I think that we should constantly evolve. We could constantly be better for ourselves and those that we care about. Um, and that takes honesty and it takes learning. And in order to learn, you have to be able to realize that you made mistakes and if you're going to move forward, you got to just learn from those mistakes and then let them go. Just move on. You didn't know any better, but you do now. So, you know, do better now. So you are responsible for what you know. Yeah. Why not be, why not be proactive about learning what your strong points are and leaning into them? Why not be proactive about mm-hmm. learning where you're problem patterns are the things that you do wrong over and over and over the bad attitude that you bring why do you fail at every time you start to do a diet why do why does it seem like all your good friends end up 
like disappearing at some point in your life. Like what, what, what's, what's the cause of these things? Like just be honest and figure it out and live your best life. And then once you do figure it out, you can change. I mean, I did. I changed dramatically in a lot of different ways. And part of that was that I just allowed myself to change. I allowed myself to be a different person. Mm -hmm. Now you went from being a heavy smoker Mm -hmm. to (laughs) being active in Ironman triathlons. I think that's pretty remarkable. (laughs) Tell us how that, you know, how that you came to that place. So that was kind of like, I don't know what I would consider like the step three which is okay, like be, okay. be intentionally optimistic, right? So for me, like the number one thing was to look in the mirror and be honest. Second was just forgive yourself and start living your life. Like, you know, you know, you can do better. So do better. Just, just, just let it all go and start. And then you got to go, well, what can I do? Well, I guess whatever you want to do. And so I looked at myself as an overweight smoker because that's what I was. Well, what did I want to be? I said, I want to be something else. And I wanted to be an athlete, whatever that meant. And so I, uh, and I wanted to be a non-smoker and I wanted to be fit and I want to be healthy for my kids. And I wanted to, you know, if, if you've got a healthy body, it probably helps you have a healthy emotional state, a healthy mind. And if you have a healthy emotional state and healthy mind, maybe you're going to care more about having a healthy body. I figured it all worked together. And so if I was going to quit smoking, I, I said, might as well start running. And so yeah. I got a pair of shoes and I couldn't run down the block, but eventually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, eventually I could run a mile and then three miles and then five miles. And then I just said, Hey, you know, what if I could do a half marathon? What if I could run a, a triathlon? What if I could do an Ironman? I mean, just like, what the heck? No and then, wow. <clears throat> you know, you realize that you could kind of do, I mean, life has its limitations in, in time and finances and that type of stuff, but you can kind of do anything that you want to do. I didn't start doing anything athletic till I was 39 years old. Oh and my goodness. That's amazing. I know. And since that time I've done, you know, almost 20 Ironmans. I've done a 5,000 mile solo bike ride across the country. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've run, you know, hundred mile races. I've done, you know, crazy uh, you know, insane amounts of endurance events. Um, and I didn't even start till I was almost 40. And it's like, well, I still, and I still believe I got my best, my best days ahead of me. So <laughs> that's a good attitude. It, it's yeah, but it's different, right? It's, it's, it's like, oh, wow. Like I'm looking forward. I'm being optimistic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I've, I've kind of always been a f- looking out the windshield instead of the rearview mirror kind of guy. But I didn't. I for for a few years, um, I really I really didn't look out the windshield, and 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 now I de- I definitely do every day. What an amazing story of transformation! And I got excited just listening. You painted an awesome picture from basically the beginning to where you are now. We're going to take a very short fifteen second break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about your books and what mm-hmm. you can offer the audience today. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, 
husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. With David Richmond this morning, and I am encouraged and definitely inspired, and I really appreciated one of the things that he said, and that was, take a good long look in the mirror if you think that other people are the problems in your life. And I really appreciate that, David. So let's continue now and tell us about mm-hmm. your books and what you have to offer the audience. Uh, well, thanks, Carol. You know, I mean, <clears throat> sometimes we, we other people can be the problem or part of the problem. But really, mm-hmm. really, really, most of the time it is us, right? And how we react or how we are attracted to problems or how we avoid dealing with obvious things. That's most of the time, right? So I don't want to belittle the fact that sometimes we get ourselves in bad situations that aren't in our control. And sometimes getting out of those is sometimes not as easy as just saying, okay, I'm going to change, right? But really, a lot of it does start with that. So I I guess the the most recent book is kind of kind of the one that I wanted to talk a little bit about because it kind of relates to this idea of starting these hard conversations around trauma because how do you how do you tell a friend what they need to hear how do you how do you how are you open enough to offer your advice in a meaningful way and um you know so I wrote I wrote one book was called winning in the middle of the pack winning in the middle of the pack Carol that that was basically this idea of when you start doing endurance athletics or whatever endeavor you want to do, like nobody's looking at the person in the middle, like, Mm. right. They want to see who finishes first. And every once in a while, sometimes everybody gathers at the finish line near the end to see who makes it off, who makes it there before the cutoff. Right. I want to know who won and who finished last, but really nobody cares about anybody else. And that's a really great place because you don't have to, worry that anybody cares nobody's looking nobody's measuring you you're just doing it for yourself right like that's the whole point like just do it for yourself and so that book winning in the middle of the pack i just kind of give like each chapter has a as a parallel between life business and endurance athletics that kind of plays to that point of hey you can win anywhere right you can win in the middle of the pack if you're doing it for the right reasons right so that that was a really fun that's an excellent point yes yeah I really love it because especially from somebody who was always a people pleaser, I probably still a little bit am a people pleaser, but um, for somebody that's a people pleaser, we do things for other people. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily do it for ourselves and that's okay. You know, that's okay, but we also need to um, do things for us for the right reasons, you know, be self-caring and self-aware. But um, the other book came out of kind of this journey that I mentioned when I was at my low point of doing a physical, emotional, and mental transformation, and then at the same time um, of being close to my sister who is dealing with terminal brain cancer. Oh, that's right. And I kind of found a parallel, uh, Carol, between a lot of different people's experience. And it didn't matter if they were a physician 
or a critical care nurse or a loved one or a friend or whatever is that when it came to cancer specifically, um, people were really good about talking about like the diagnoses and how do you get tr- care and how do you navigate time off of work and oh my gosh, like do you have a doctor I should see? They're good about those kind of things, but they're not really good at talking about the emotional side of it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Like how many times, and, and I don't know if you can picture this or not, but <clears throat> how many times maybe in your life did, you know, you, you, you had something really good happening and all of a sudden you walk by a coworker and they look kind of down and you're like, Hey, you know, you're in this up, up mood and like things are happening and you're good. And you are like, Hey, what's the matter, Carol? And Carol goes, Oh, I'm okay. I just got a call and I heard my uncle's, you know, got terminal cancer. He's got pancreatic cancer. And you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then exit. Like, what the, <laughs> what, what, what the hell do you say? What could you say? What could you ever say to somebody? Right. So it's best not to say anything. Like, so we avoid these conversations. And what yeah. I found, uh, going through this experience with my sister is that, is that avoiding having those hard conversations, avoiding connecting on a human level about the emotional side was very, very common. And, um, cancer can be a exceptionally isolating place because of that dynamic, right? Either the uh, people involved don't want to make others feel guilty. They don't, they don't know what to say. They don't want to bring people down. They don't want to be a victim. They don't want sympathy. There's a million reasons why people might not be open to talking to us about what they're going through. And then on the other side, we don't want to say anything because I'm not, I don't want to say anything stupid and I don't want to, minimize your thing and you know and i don't want to like what do you say to somebody like like how do you even begin those conversations and and so i wanted to find out why 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 is that and so the premise that i put together carol was this i found these really really interesting stories of people's lives they had very very remarkable and interesting lives not just their cancer experience Uh but i said if point a is to is is where you encountered cancer and point a could be you're a six-year-old uh, girl seeing your your father in hospice care and, and dying when, when you were young or point a could be you were a 12 year old on a on a field trip to a hospital and you decided oh i want to become a, a doctor or a point a was you got diagnosed with cancer or something that's point a oh, okay point point b is today so between A and B, how did you or how have you not navigated the emotional aspects of your experience in relation to everything that happened before point A? Because that's the things that made us determine whether or not we're able to talk about these hard things, like how, like who we were as kids, the traumas that we experienced together. And what I wanted to do with this is I couldn't understand, Carol, what somebody's going through that's had their second breast cancer diagnosis, and I wouldn't know how to talk to them about that. But if I could find some common ground with the traumas that they've been through in life that I might have been through or can at least I better identify with, and maybe it would allow me to have those conversations with them. So um, so what I did was I interviewed these people for a couple of years to really go super deep into their stories so that when we read the book, when we heard these stories of what they were dealing with on the emotional side, 
or not dealing with on the emotional side of the cancer journey, then I might better identify with who they are as people and not just frame my desire to connect with them based around the, the cancer, right? I wanted to connect uh-huh. with them as humans. If I can identify with that, then that makes sense, right? So, so I just, so I, so I brought these stories <clears throat> in a way that said, I'm going to talk about the person first and let us identify with the traumas that they've been through, drug abuse, addiction, suicide, uh, you know, rough upbringing, great upbringing, um, you know, close parents, good mentors, bad mentors, you, you name it. I wanted to say, what's a common ground that we could find so that we can identify with them as a human, maybe even, you know, re- re- reflect on who in our lives might might be like that. And then when we learn about the trauma that they went through with cancer and the difficulty of navigating the emotional aspects of that, maybe we could learn from that and bring that to our own lives so that we can start hard conversations with people in our lives. Does that make sense? Yes. I was just going to say, what a revelation. And it's it's putting yourself out there. It's, Mm -hmm. um, yes, I really appreciate it. And my mind was, you know, doing lots of spins there as you were, as you were talking, thinking about both sides of that. So thank you for that. Now, I want you to continue, but also would you share what kind of feedback you have had as a result of your book? Oh, sure. Um, it's been really great. I feel very fortunate because I've had a lot of people reach out to me that are both um, caregivers and also, you know, people that have, you know, firsthand going through this. You know, I remember one of the first uh, people that reached out to me was a woman who was a critical care uh, nurse. Uh, and she said, oh, my gosh, I had no idea what my patients were going through. And this is going to help me be a better nurse because she understands the cancer. She understands the care. She didn't understand really the emotional, which is shocking to me. I got another um, letter from a from a gastroenterology oncologist. And he said he read the book straight through twice. He said the first time he read it as a doctor. And he said he was horrified to find out what his patients were going through on the emotional side. Like he questioned whether or not he was as good a doctor as he could have been because oh he didn't re- yeah, he didn't realize what they had gone through. And then he read it the second time as a human. And he said, he said, now I, now I really understand, you know, kind of what people have gone through. So I've had uh, a lot of really good uh, responses to the book only that it allows us to have a deeper insight into what people are going through because we really have no idea what people are going through and we have no idea how traumatic some things can be and cancer is an odd one because it just doesn't make sense right carol i mean we all know like the 90 year old woman that's smoking cigars and drinking bourbon and, (laughs) and having a party at her at her nursing home saying the secret to a long life is is a is a cigar and a bourbon and then we know that the 35-year-old single mom, you know, marathon runner that's that's a vegan and super healthy that all of a sudden gets terminal pancreatic cancer. And you're like, what? It doesn't make sense, right? Exactly. It, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And so that's that's another aspect of it that's just like, what the heck? Like you just can't wrap your brain around it. So to try to get a little more insight so that we can connect, because 
like I said a minute ago, one of the common themes was that it was very isolating, you know, um, even for caregivers, very isolating because you, you just don't know, you, you know, it's, it's hard to have these like deep conversations with people. But once people do have the deeper conversations, man, there's so much the better for it, even if it's just in passing, you know, and I think the book kind of helps teach you how to have those hard conversations and how to be a, just a little more present and a little less afraid to exit stage left. You know? As I was thinking about the different emotions, the two that kind of jumped out at me is fear, of course, mm-hmm. and denial. Oh, yeah. What are some of the other ones that, that um, people have had to deal with? Well, fear is a, is a big one. A denial is a very big one. Wow, the power of denial. There's a story in the book about denial, the power of denial that's just shocking. Like how you could not pay attention to to what you're, you know, to that. I, I think that um, really the thing that um, <clears throat> is really prevalent in a lot of people's cases, understanding kind of what does it all mean. So a confusion, a a desperate confusion, you know, um, but there also is a ton of other, um, uh, uh, emotions. Gratitude is one that I found a lot, um, because, uh, it allowed people to connect. They knew that you didn't have control over the circumstances, but they were grateful for the opportunity to learn. They were grateful for the focus that it gave to them to make those those moments with with their loved ones or people that they knew really, really matter. So they were grateful to have that opportunity. I guess that's one of the silver linings of 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 some type of medical conditions is it does give you time to connect in a way that you might not be able to. So I think uh, gratitude is is definitely one. Um, I think um as, as odd as it sounds, Carol, sometimes um, uh, people are, are grateful because it gives them strength. You know, like I look at this hmm. one this one story. Um, she had this woman had five different cancers. Oh my word! In her adult life, five different cancers. Uh, three of them were stage three. Two, the other two were stage two. Very severe diagnoses, and. Each one let her to have a little bit more confidence in in taking control of her own destiny, of learning what she needed to learn, of navigating the medical system. And she developed that resiliency and and that uh, kind of like relying on herself attitude because she had uh, spent like four years trying to escape a very abusive relationship. And, you know, I. I kind of understood how I could identify with her as somebody that was in an abusive relationship. And then I, and then I, and then I could, I could imagine and and that, 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 that her, her optimism in dealing with things that would just normally knock people right on their butts, um, was just something that I found so inspiring. And so I, I think that we can get a lot from it, but what, from learning about what people are going through, through having hard conversations, um, because we don't have to be so scared. That the, the really, really common theme, Carol, that I got was two. One is, uh, don't give me sympathy. I don't need your sympathy, uh-huh. right? 
I, I don't want that. Doesn't help me, right? Certainly, it's it's not welcome. Sympathy, empathy, you know, like learning about things, but right. sympathy, they don't want. That's number one. Number two is. Unless you say something really, really, really stupid, you can't really say anything wrong. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like, for example, oh, my grandma just got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my gosh. I know how you feel. You're like, my dog was sick the other day. It's like, that would be <laughs> gotcha. <stupid."> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Avoiding that, you literally can't say anything wrong. Right. That, that what you could say wrong is I'll call you and then don't call them. Right. That's yes, a, that's a good to point too. Wow. I, I absolutely can guarantee you. I've been. I've said this at least five hundred times on podcasts and interviews and other things, and nobody's ever told me I'm wrong. But I guarantee you, every single person on this call that's listening to this now or in the future knows somebody in their life that's going through something super, super difficult, and that person is important to you or was important to you in some way. But life has gotten away and you haven't reached out hmm. either because you've been too busy, because you wanted to give them their space, because you didn't know what to say, because you weren't sure where they were at with the whole thing. You just uh, you just been avoiding it. I mean, you, we can all think of that person. I know we we all have that person in our life or many of those people in our lives. And it's and it's tough, right? It's, it, it's tough to just say, okay, I'm going to pick up the phone and call. So you really can't say anything wrong, which is the other thing I learned Excellent. in talking to people is, is just don't, don't abandon them. Don't, don't make them feel isolated. It's okay to ask them how the weather is, even though they just got back from, from another dose of chemo. You know, it's okay to ask them if they, you know, if they had uh, a chance to see that, you know, some TV show you used to talk about, even though you know that they can't get up out of bed because they don't have the strength. It's okay. Just don't avoid him. A guy had lost his his wife and a brand new you know, young family. Um, they they were just in their early thirties and just got married, and she died tragically of, of breast cancer right away. And he's on the phone with his dad, and he's you know talking about things. And his dad, um, you know, brought up a friend of his that he had known since since um, you know he was a kid. And, you know, they grew up lifelong friends or something and hadn't talked to him in a couple of weeks. And, and, and my friend Bobby, the one that had lost his, his wife, said, geez, Dad, how come you haven't talked to him? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I'm afraid. You know, I mean, he just lost his wife of 50 years. And, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, I don't know what the heck to say to him. And, and Bobby goes, what do you mean you don't know what to say to him? You've known the guy for like 65 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> he says, call him up and ask him if he saw the Dodgers. Ask him what he had exactly. for dinner. Exactly. That's what ask I, him if he yes. needs to have dinner. Yes. It doesn't matter. You don't have to talk to him about his wife. He's not going to cry about his wife every minute of the day to you. You're his best friend. Call him and, and ask him how he's doing. I love that. It's just that communication, that human connection that we all need. Well, yeah. you have given us a lot of things to ponder. I noticed that your book has a tremendous amount, I can't remember the number, but a lot of positive five-star reviews. So I yeah. know you are reaching a lot of people. Okay. And I encourage the audience to pick up their copy. All the information to do that will be, of course, on the show notes here. And in summary, what would you like to tell the audience? 
Well, I, I guess just thank you for the time and listening to this conversation. It's really been great talking to you, Carol. The, uh, that that book is called Cycle of Lives. Right. Um, what you. I did was, what I did was I um I, I did these stories and I figure we're all connected by emotion and we're connected by story. Right? Who doesn't stop when you say, "Hey, Carol, I got a quick story. You got a second? Who doesn't have a quick <laughs> second for story? Right. Um, so I decided to get on my bike and and bike solo to each one of the people. Um, that I had interviewed. Um, and so it took me like six weeks and 5,000 miles. So about, <laughs> about 20% of the book is the bike ride. The other 80% is each one of these stories. And, and I would say that the thing that I would uh, just leave people with is that if you have an opportunity to engage in a conversation with somebody that matters to you, don't be afraid. Like don't, don't be afraid to just ask how they're doing. That's incredible summary i appreciate that and definitely will encourage and motivate us thank you and thank you for being on never ever give up hope i love it thank you carol appreciate the time thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.